the running community to me feels so welcoming. Like regardless of pace, we all get it. Like we ha we're having this shared experience of going out and doing something that's hard. And it's never easier because we consistently set a new goal. We want to get faster. We want to run farther. So I think that's what to me is always sort of fascinating when someone says like, oh, I don't feel like a real runner. And I know they're saying it because they think a real runner is XYZ pace, but I'm like, man, trust me, if you talk to any other runner, we get it. We get the whole experience and it's not about your pace. It's just so much more than that. And man, we have so much more fun as soon as we stop worrying about pace all the time. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 59 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. Amanda Brooks is a boss and a true OG in the running community. A tireless researcher of products and training methodologies, all focused on injury prevention and keeping her runners and followers healthy. Amanda and her team of eight coaches have built a platform and community to support middle-of-the-pack runners and help them find joy in running or walking at any pace. Amanda's coaching mission, I want us all to think beyond the clock, to love the run for what it gives us, to love our bodies for what they can achieve, to take the extra few moments to keep us running injury-free and happy. In fact, that's the major portion of the first one-third of my new book, Run to the Finish, The Everyday Runner's Guide, which I can highly recommend as a great resource for all runners. We discuss youth, team sports, the impact of good and bad coaches, how that ultimately shaped her approach and the coaches she hires, building a community, finding joy at any pace, overcoming a major health crisis, and how that led to lower heart rate training and a focus on health and injury prevention. Inside Tracker, awareness of what's happening on the inside and helping others with her platform and community service. I've been a big fan of Amanda's impact in the running community, so it was a real treat to learn more of her inspiring story. I hope you all enjoy this convo as much as we did. So let's dive on in and take a listen. Morning, Amanda Brooks. Welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. So how are things out in Colorado? Things are good. We are turning the corner from summer running and now right into winter. So, <laughs> so no fall transition, straight summer to winter? We had a little more fall this year, which is unusual. Usually we get snow by like end of September. So it's just kind of Summer's over. That's it. Um, but we did have a really great October this year. Nice. Nice. And what part of Colorado are you in? So I'm right around Boulder. Ah, the Mecca. Yes. I took my son there uh, before his senior season of high school cross country running. We wanted to mix um, uh, college visits in with something running, something fun and interesting. So after we bounced around and did all a bunch of college trips from the West Coast, we made our way back and stopped in Boulder and did like a seven, eight day running trip. And we ran mags and we ran uh, Chautauqua Park and 
all kinds of famous uh, Boulder uh, places to hit. And man, did we have a great time. Yeah, it's gorgeous. And the running scene really is incredible and intense here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, or is it close, like right out your back door? Or do you have to go a ways to get to all the trails and whatnot? Or like how close are you to the action? Um, so I have a number of trails that are right here by me. Um, we moved up this way from a little farther south in Denver, where we actually had access to a lot more trails. So Boulder is what people kind of know. Um, but there's this whole other section that actually has way more trails. Yeah. Well, it's it's wonderful. Um, the fall is my favorite running season. So I feel for you a little, but I don't really feel that much because being out there in that clean air and with those majestic views is is pretty impossible to beat. Uh, and also just running in the mountains, running at elevation, you know, just makes you physically so much stronger anyway. And also it develops so much of the rest of your body, not just aerobically and aerobic capacity, but just tendons, muscles, ligaments, everything has to get stronger when you're on trail a lot you're off roads a lot. So you're basically going to be healthier, like long-term as a runner. For sure. There's a lot of benefits. We moved out here from living in Florida. So it took me a little bit to go from like the world is flat and sea level <laughs> to hilly and, and higher. Um, but yeah, I, I prefer the running here for sure. Now that had to be a pretty shocking change to the system. It was, but it was a good one. <laughs> Yeah. So tell everybody, I mean, you have a huge following on Instagram, huge following blogging, video um, from your coaching business. I think you have nine coaches on your staff along with yourself. Um, you built a huge business reviewing products and gear, which a lot of people are super interested in. And then just connecting with runners, you know, not that elite, you know, category of runner that's like shoot, shooting to run like an Olympic trials qualifying standard. There are plenty of coaches out there to kind of help that runner. But you kind of built this wonderful business for kind of that mid-range runner that you're just trying to get back up off the couch that maybe has been out of the game and just feels like, hey, it's time for me to get back. And, you know, you've really tapped into like a terrific market. But before we get into all that fun stuff, tell us a little about your life growing up as a kid, family life, and like kind of where your first introduction to sports was. Yeah. So I grew up in Kansas City. So very Midwestern upbringing. Um, you know, I have two great parents. I am an only child. I was not spoiled, but I definitely thought I was the center of the world. <laughs> um, I started playing sports probably at age five, maybe four, because I was always younger than everyone else. Um, so started with softball, played that for 10 or 12 years. Um, but my parents were very open to letting me try other things. So I tried soccer. I tried basketball. I was never aggressive enough for any of those. I was the tall kid who would not take the ball from anyone. <laughs> um, you know, and then in high school, I fell in love with swim team and volleyball. So I feel really lucky actually that I sort of had all of those different sports. Um, running was really something I came to in college because prior to that, it, it was a hundred percent only done when I was being punished on one of those sports teams. <laughs> Which is how it was. Um, at least in my generation. And I'm obviously much older. I'm 60, 
but it was running was very much a punishment for any sport. Basketball, it was suicides. You know, if you were late for practice, you're going to do this. And with baseball, if anything happened, you were running laps around the field. If you're a pitcher and you didn't do a drill right, you were running laps around the field many times until dark. So yeah, I think a lot of kids, certainly from my generation or even yours, had that feeling of running is punishment. Running is not something I want to do. Um, I was different. You know, my mom would say to my brothers, there were three of us, I was the middle one. And my mom would be like, okay, one of you has to go to the store and get milk. And it's like 8.30 at night. Well, 8.30 isn't late, but it's dark. And when I say dark, where I grew up as a kid, there's barely street lights. And although that deli was probably a half mile from our door, it might as well have been 20 miles away when you're like an eight-year-old kid. And, you know, you're fist fighting with your brothers on who's going to have to do it. And I'd be like, okay, it's me. I got to go. And I would play all these games with myself. Like I get out the front door and pretend like the football is coming to me on the goal line. I'm going to catch it. And I would just run. And I say run as fast as I could. Like my ribs were coming out of my chest to get there because I didn't know if I was going to get mugged or attacked or what. And it was safe where I lived. It just was in my own head at eight years old, venturing out into the dark to go get a quart of milk or a half gallon of milk for my mom and then run back the entire way. Um, but I wasn't a runner either. I was a baseball player in high school and college and played all the sports. And I think what I always like to talk to guests about is the team sport element. Um, and although you didn't get into running all the way until college, you know, playing those team sports, you know, volleyball, swimming, you know, getting involved, you know, it, it just changes us as a person, you know, not only interacting with the coaches and the different coaches styles, we have the good and the bad. We take from both sides, and this is definitely something I want to talk with you about further, um, but you're on a structured team. You know, you're part of kids around you, whether you were the taller kid, but you weren't aggressive. That's, it's so funny how often I hear that. My son was a bigger kid too in soccer. He didn't want to go in there in the mix for the ball. He'd just like go off to the sides and he'd run way down the other end of the field. It was like, okay, he doesn't want anything to do with soccer, but, but that's how you figure it out. Not only as a parent you figure it out, but as a kid. So for you, like, how did you just kind of figure it out yourself? Like, what did you really like about swimming, let's say, versus the other things? You know, I know you liked volleyball too, but like what sealed it for you in terms of what was more interesting? That's a great question. You know, I think some of it was when it felt like I could probably in some way succeed on my own. So I liked that there was this group of people all doing the same thing, but I wasn't particularly reliant on them. If I was going to do well or poorly in that swim, it was entirely up to me. And I didn't have this crazy nervousness around it. I just went and did it. Um, and I was good at swimming. So I think that was some of it too. Um, it was also when I was just having more fun and for whatever reason, basketball or soccer just weren't fun to me, but like volleyball was fun. I loved it. I loved spiking and hitting and that one is very team collaborative, but I never felt that like, gosh, if you don't do your part, this is all going to fall apart kind of thing. Um, so that fun element is something maybe because I'm not crazy competitive, at least with other people, only like with myself, that I kept kind of coming back to without really realizing it. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, anxiety with sports can start at a really early age. And, you know, whether you're the smallest kid or the biggest kid, whether your body type 
is something you're comfortable with or uncomfortable. I don't think there's any kid that's comfortable with their body. That's the God's truth. That's my opinion. I mean, it gets so much more attention on the women's side of the world and deservedly so. Because when coaches are literally weighing body fat of athletes at like the University of Oregon and telling them that they're not in this range and they're basically being pressured like you're going to be cut or you're going to be let go, or we all know the Mary Kane story, or there's so many other stories we don't know. Um, but there's plenty of men out there that are really uncomfortable with their bodies. And Mario Frioli is one of my favorite podcasters. I know he had eating disorder issues and was uncomfortable with his own body and weight uh, with training and trying to be super competitive. So I think it's just kids in general. We're not comfortable with who we are yet. And no matter how close we are with our parents, no matter maybe we have that one teacher that's really a role model or one coach that we really like, we're still trying to find out who the hell we are. And it's early in life. So for you, the sports that came more naturally to you that you were more comfortable with, you know, that's a, that's a place of safety. It's a place of feeling good, right? And then the flip side is we have that coach that like elevates us or lifts us up or we look up to them and say like, wow, I really like this coach's style. I like his approach. He brings me in and then we have the ones who don't do the good job. So I know you had an experience with a coach. Um, we don't need to name any names. It's not important, but I think how these coaches affect us, particularly when we're younger, like in high school or college age, can really have an impact on us. And now, particularly with what you're doing with your life, you know, not only are you coaching athletes, but you have nine other coaches on your team, like on your platform that are really, you know, kind of pushing a philosophy that's working really well. So talk a little bit about what that coach, the impact he had on you, like his style, his approach, and what, you know, why do you think it affected you the way you did? Yeah. So like I said, volleyball was one of my favorite sports. I made varsity like right away. And yet I did not play my senior year of high school. Um, I really, by the third year, by my junior year was like, I, I can't deal with that person next year. I, I can't do it. It is mentally making me miserable. And I realized too, it was not just me. It was most of the girls on the team were having the same reaction. Um, and it was just, it's almost hard to describe because he was never that person who was like directly in your face saying something horrible to you. It was just this constant, I don't know if you want to even call it passive aggressive, but it was just never, never kind ever. And it was just a lot as a teenager to take on, but I think it was probably something also that very much showed my personality, um, which is that I'm just not willing to let someone walk all over me or treat me poorly, um, treat me poorly and expect me to do something well for them. Um, and we had conversations about it. So I also mustered up that, you know, junior in high school, like nerve to say, here's the problem. Um, and was pretty much told by that person that I was just crazy and it was too bad. Get over it. Um, so it frustrates me to look back and realize that I missed out on that final year, but I also know it was the best possible decision for my enjoyment of that final year. So I'm very, very picky when I think about coaches coming onto my team because it really is so much to me about the way they're going to interact and that they never make anyone feel like whatever their goal is, is less important than someone else's. So whether we have the runner who is walking their first marathon 
or walking the first time down the block in 10 years. Like I love it. And I've been very lucky to keep sort of finding these women who do have that same philosophy and, and asking them to sort of come on board. I love it. Um, cause we always focus so much on our formative, you know, how we develop as humans and you know, what, what becomes our most important things like me, my mantra, stay in the fight. I mean, it's just how I live my life. It isn't just a mantra I use in running when I'm in a tough spot in an ultra or a marathon. It's, it's life. It's how I was raised by my mom at 89 little, 89 year old little Irish woman who has overcome every kind of cancer and lymphoma and COVID and everything else life has thrown at her. But she always has a smile on. She never complains about the difficulties of her own situation. Um, she just makes the best of it and always showed my brothers and I how to move forward and with grit and determination, but also with a smile and a laugh about how life can be tough. Um, not to say she didn't ever complain because she did. I mean, <laughs> life is tough, man. It's really tough. But I love how you took your stand, even as a junior in high school. I mean, most kids wouldn't muster up the courage, as you said. And if they did, they maybe wouldn't really say what was on their mind. And then even if so, if the coach says what he says, a lot of them are just still going to go back on the team and play anyway. So sure, there's going to be some regret that you missed out on that senior year. But there probably would have been more regret if you played and were unhappy or never spoke your mind or never really stood up for what you believe because in a way you weren't really just speaking for yourself. There were other people on the team that were unhappy with the way things were going. So at an early age, um, you took a stand on something important and it influenced who you are today as a coach and on your platform, the kind of coaches you want to be part of your own team because I get runners on my show all the time and they'll make that comment like, well, I'm not fast or um, I'm not as fast as my friends or, or they'll say to me, uh, I'll say, come to my shakeout. I'm hosting a shakeout in Central Park on Saturday before the New York City Marathon. Please come. Oh, I'm too slow. You don't want me in your group. I'm like, no, I want you in my group. I don't care how slow you run. I don't care if you walk. I don't care if you walk the whole thing. You're still a finisher. You're still a runner. You're still a badass. So like the self-talk part, is so critical because there's only one person that can have that dialogue with you outside of you when you're their coach, right? And I think that's where people get so hung up because you have to get control of that voice that's in your own head when you're looking in the mirror, which is why I love Goggins so much, man. If you're not happy with yourself, it's okay. You don't have to be all like, oh man, I'm great. I'm Amanda. I'm feeling good. I'm Ron. No, man. It can be like, you know what? Ron, you suck right now. You're out of shape. You're not being disciplined. You're not eating well. And you're not doing the things that make you feel good about yourself. But we can all like grab some level of self-control. And I love, you know, the approach that you are taking and your coaches are taking to make people feel good about what they're doing, whether it's walking 10 blocks, as you said, or trying to run a marathon. It doesn't matter. They're both wins and they're both something to be celebrated. I really love that the running community to me feels so welcoming. So like, regardless of pace, we all get it. Like we ha we're having this shared experience of going out and doing something that's hard and it's never easier because we consistently set a new goal. We want to get faster. We want to run farther. So I think that's what to me is always sort of fascinating when someone says like, oh, I don't feel like a real runner. And I know they're saying it because they think a real runner is X, Y, Z pace, but I'm like, 
man, trust me, if you talk to any other runner, we get it. We get the whole experience and it's not about your pace. So I do feel like I spend a lot of time telling people it's not about your pace. Um, and it's awesome to celebrate our PRs and our achievements, but it's just so much more than that. And man, we have so much more fun as soon as we stop worrying about pace all the time. Agreed. And our self-worth isn't tied to the time on the clock. And we all want to chase big things in life. And a big thing is not just a medal, you know, for, you know, the New York City Marathon or the local 5K. Forget the marathon. Not everybody wants to run a marathon. It's, it's sexy. It gets a lot of coverage. Look, people run ultra marathons. It's like people do triathlon, people do Ironmans. If you're a triathlete and you're not doing Ironman, what are you going to feel like? Oh, Ironman, they get all the attention. If you're a 5K or a 10K runner, or you like cross country, or you like trail running, maybe you don't even want to race at all. You just like living in Colorado like you do, and you want to run the trails on the weekend. And you know what? You're not even interested in the racing scene altogether. Doesn't make you any less a runner than me or someone who flies around the world and wants to do the six-star majors and, and do all that. You're still a runner and your self-worth should never be tied to you know, the time you're running. You can feel great about achieving a goal if that's your goal, okay? But the goal doesn't have to be time-related. The goal can be, just like you said, to get from off the couch to 10 blocks. And from 10 blocks, we're gonna go to 20 blocks and somewhere in between. So how do you in those conversations with those athletes, do you do these like via Zoom mostly? Do you do them via email, texting? I mean, how does it, how does it generally work between you and your athletes? Kind of depends. So we have like a virtual run club. And so that's an online group. And I do hop in there and do like live videos with the runners that we're coaching one-on-one. -on -one. A lot of it is email, text, and then a monthly phone call. Um, so it kind of depends on the runner. Some people are super communicative and we know everything that's happening. Other folks, it's like, I haven't been able to get a hold of you for three weeks. Are you running? <laughs> and they're always like, yeah, I'm doing everything on the plan. And so it's like, okay, we'll just keep on trucking. Um, but I do think that's a big part of coaching that kind of gets overlooked. It's not just here's your run. It is a lot of the mental stuff. It's oh, why are you struggling to get this stuff in this week? Okay, you're frustrated by that run, but but why? Like, it was 90 degrees and you still did the intervals. I, I They may not have been as fast as you wanted, but here's why they were still beneficial. Um, so it does feel like there really is a lot more mental components to having a good coach than I think most people realize. Yeah, and I think the, the huge benefits are when you have the ability to adapt, you know, for the things that life throws at us. I mean, we don't know, you know, when we start, let's just say someone signs up to work with you for three months of coaching or, I mean, does it work in blocks of time? Is it a year? Like what, what are your normal plans? Like how does it, how does it work for somebody to sign up and get engaged with your group? Yeah. So with the one-on-one -on -one coaching, we have a minimum of three months because I'm like, we just need enough time for the plan to really come together. Um, but I would say the majority of our runners who are doing one-on-one -on -one coaching stick with us a year or longer. And it's usually because they kind of have one goal and we get there and then, well, let's try the next goal. Um, and so I love seeing that because we can see them for so long and see what's happening. Um, inside the run club, they can dip in or out because we kind of cover different topics every month. Um, and so for me, I created the run club because... 
I wanted people who felt like they didn't have the funds to pay for one-on-one coaching to still have a way to have an access to coaches because I know I get millions of questions every day. So I was like, okay, you guys want someone to help answer your questions. So that way they could kind of say like, oh, next month they're talking all about trail and ultra running. Like, I'm really excited about that. There's a bunch of coaches in there who could answer questions for me. And so there they still have that space. They're just not going to get a customized plan out of it but still have people to answer their questions. And it's been really incredible to see the support they provide each other too. Well, you have a, you're created a community. So it's virtual, you know, you're not physically in Denver or New York city, like uh, both of us are or close. Maybe you're not in Denver, of course, but um, you're, you're creating a virtual community and you have a question and answer ability. You have specific topics that you're diving into and going deeper with Um, And I'm sure you're converting some of those people to coaching or people are coming on board or in board and onboarding, you know, both ways, you know, maybe they've worked with you, but then they need to take a break because they don't feel like they have some big goal in mind right now. Maybe they're battling some injuries. Maybe they're just coming out of a pregnancy and, and having a new, you know, boy or girl addition to the family. There's just so many things that life has that we get thrown, their loss of a job, moving to another city. Um, And sometimes we do have to hit a stop button and say, of course, I'm going to keep running. Of course, I'm going to keep getting my work in. But right now, I just need to step off of an actual organized plan with some, you know, goal or objective in mind. A hundred percent. Sometimes we need to just run because we want to run. And leave it at that. I think it's been an interesting thing for a lot of people who followed me for many years to kind of see that a lot of times I run a lot, but I have no race on the calendar whatsoever. And I am perfectly content and perfectly happy. And it's helped a lot of folks, I feel like, sort of shift that mindset of like, if I don't have a race, then like, what am I doing? Um, And just kind of going back to like, when you started why did you like this? It wasn't about what your watch said on that first run. I know it wasn't. It was about just kind of seeing what you could do. And then you were excited the first time you hit a mile and excited the first time you hit two miles. But now you're mad at yourself if you didn't run six miles today. And it's sort of, it's a funny thing to me to watch these pressures we put on our running instead of just remembering that like we're doing this because it's supposed to be fun. I love that viewpoint, um, particularly coming out. We're not really out of COVID. We're, we're, I guess we, we're as close to being normalized from COVID right now as you can be. Um, I was able to get on a plane and fly and run London and then come back and do Boston. Um, some people were doing Chicago and Boston. I know one guy did Baltimore, Chicago and Boston and ran them all sub 230. So people are just doing amazing things. But conversely, as you said, you don't need to do a race. I just think... It's wonderful that those ends can be so polar opposite and so extremely different, but can still get great joy and great stress relief, anxiety relief, all the benefits that we have to running. Last night, I ran at like 1130 at night and all people commenting on my Strava all the time. It can be like 11 minute pace, 1030 pace. You could see it's two or three minutes slower than my other runs. Like if they really thought about it, they would understand what I'm doing out there without me needing to title that run or write a single word. Like I went out last night because I just had one of those days from hell where I could not catch up. I was behind the whole day. It was like, it was like the escalator just kept going up. Like it was going up on a higher angle and I couldn't, the more effort I put in to get caught up and to move things around on my schedule to get where I wanted to go, 
I just fell further behind. And I realized I hadn't run and it was like so late. I was just like, no, 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 I'm going running. I'm going out there and I'm just going to put on some music and I'm just going to like veg out. And I'm so happy I went. It was just so clear on the water. I live on the water. It's crystal clear. The water wasn't moving. The reflection in the moon off the buildings. I, I'm right across the city from New York after living there for you know many, many years. And it's crazy. There's no one out there at that time. I mean, sure, there's a few people walking their dog, whatnot. There's a few people coming back from bars or restaurants in Hoboken along the way, but it's so peaceful. And I slept so much better last night because of that six mile, ridiculously slow paced run because it put me in the space I needed to be before I went to bed last night. And I'm just so thankful that I did it. And so many times it's only about, I have to do my tempo run, or I know you don't have to do anything. Running is a privilege, man. Running is supposed to be you know, a vehicle to just offload all of that other stuff and you will feel better. So um, it's wonderful that you don't focus on racing at all. It's not important to you. And here you are with this huge coaching business, working with so many runners who primarily are coming to you probably to build up for a race or a series of races or have a series of goals in mind. You know, maybe it's they want to get the six star or maybe they want to qualify for Boston. And here you are leading this group of coaches with a great platform and it's just not important to you. Yeah. In fact, I just did Chicago, which was the first marathon I've run in eight years. Um, and I mean, I had knee surgery in 2017, so there was some build back going on, but a lot of it was that I just didn't care. I have run the exact same number of miles every year, even though I was not like training specifically, but I was excited. I trained hard and I enjoyed training. And I think a lot of it was a different mindset than when I was training in 2013, because yes, I would go out for those hard runs and just think I'm really excited to see what I can do. Instead of, oh, okay, I've got to, I got to get in 20 miles. I got to, it was just like, oh, this is fun. Like this is playtime. Running 20 miles is play. You see all these things. And so it was a very different mindset. I mean, the race went horribly because it was like 80 degrees, <laughs> but I wasn't upset either. You know, I finished and I was like, that was definitely not what I trained for, but I'm not injured. And I just did 26.2 miles again in less than ideal conditions. So, you know, I wasn't like thrilled that I didn't have the day I wanted, but um, it was also just kind of a great reminder again that like still just finishing is such a win and having a whole training cycle where you're not injured because you're doing all the right things and a whole training cycle where you enjoyed yourself, like that's huge. I think it's great. And I love um, that you're open about that because we, again, you're not someone who's tying your results to a time. Um, as you know, many are, and huge amounts of people are, where I can just see their face instantly. It's like the emoji faces. I could see them all with the eyes and the face upset. No, no, no. The race didn't go the way you wanted. That's all it is. Okay. So figure it out, man. Goggins talks about doing a postmortem in my business life. There's no one who's ever worked with me or been part of any successful team that I've been a part of in my business career that doesn't understand the term postmortem because there's no way we're winning or losing business in my business life without having one of those discussions. And it will always be frank and it will always be, you know, unfiltered. It needs to be that way. You have to honestly look at yourselves in the mirror as the team members that were part of that experience and say, 
What went wrong? What went right? Why did we win? Why did we lose? What do we think we could have done different? How do we learn for the next time? How is a race any different? We start on that starting line and we've got to cover 26 miles. There's so many variables that are out of our control, starting with 80 degrees. I'm pretty sure in Denver or in the Colorado area you live, it wasn't 80 degrees while you were training, getting ready for Chicago. You don't live in Florida. You don't live in Southern Texas or Southern California where maybe your body was more prepared. My friends in Boston who ran better were almost all predominantly from Florida. Almost all of them were because um, it was like 89% humidity in Boston. It didn't bother me as much, but I'm also coming back from an injury and I wasn't running as hard. I was just running as controlled as I could and just enjoying that day. Every step, you know, hooking up with the kids, high-fiving every little kid out on that course, trying to influence the next generation of Boston runners. And I love your perspective on it. You know, you're you're not going to let it define you. You got through the cycle healthy. You made it through the race in way less than ideal conditions. So what if you didn't have the time you wanted? You know, it's not it's not the end of the world. You move forward, right? Yeah, and I think it's hard anyways because we pinpoint everything on this one day. And there's so much about that day that you don't know how it's going to go. You don't know what the weather is going to be. A lot of people didn't know Chicago was going to make you dump out all of your fluids at the start line. So all these things that are sort of out of your control and you're wrapping up the value of what you did for the last four months and what happens on that one day. And I just think that's such an unfair thing to do to ourselves. Like, Sometimes you also just have bad running days and they come out of nowhere for no particular reason and they happen on race day. So it for me, I agree. It's very much like when you finish, let's look at things. Let's see where we are. Is there something else coming up that we can try to take that training and use it for if you're just really still feeling gung-ho or do we need to take a sec- step back because maybe training really wasn't as ideal, but yeah instead of letting that one day be kind of the defining factor of all that time you spent. Yeah. And I think fueling um, is so important to us, even when we have a good day. Um, when I say good day, I mean a good weather day. I don't mean a good racing day because you can get confused on that one very easily. But let's say the weather gods serve us up a good day, which happens, you know, very random as we know, because someone who's coming up in New York will be my 60th marathon. You know, sure, I've had my fair amount of days that were really good, quote unquote, marathoning weather days. But I also ran in 2018 Boston. I've also run in London when it was 85 degrees. I mean, I've had all kinds of crazy days. And when you get those days as a runner, if you're lucky enough to be coached by somebody like Amanda or somebody on her team, hopefully they're giving you the good advice to say, okay, race plans out the window. It's 80 degrees. We're not going for whatever the heck we thought we were going for today. We are going to just go out there. We're going to enjoy the day. And if somehow we're feeling pretty good in the second to third latter part of the race, you got permission to, you know, let the training wheels go and race at the end of the race when you have a chance to, you know, perform. But most times, you know, we're not willing to do that. You know, we've invested three months of training and we think, okay, well, Amanda got me ready to run. I'm really fit. I can still do it. And there's that part of our brain that just wants to go for what we train for. And I think that's one of the areas where I see people make the biggest mistakes. I mean, what about from your experience there? 
Oh, a hundred percent. I made that mistake in Chicago. I got there and was like, it's been eight years. <laughs> I've worked really hard. I'm just going to go for it and see what happens. And about mile 15, I was like, you knew this was a bad idea. And it is currently a very bad idea. So I was like, we're going to slow way down now. And you're just going to finish and be pretty excited that you did that. Um, so certainly, like, even with all the right advice, it's, it's easy to fall into that trap because we are excited and you've tapered, you're all fresh and just ready to go. So I think, again, it's another chance to sort of learn. So immediately I knew, I mean, I knew before I did it, it was a poor idea. But as soon as I hit about mile 15, I was like, yep, it was every bit as, as dumb as you thought. And so now I know that if I hit another hot one, I will just choose to make it a very easy, comfortable day and have more fun and look to a different race. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, we're, we can make mistakes at any age. I know I'm still making plenty of them at 60. Uh, experience doesn't equal smarter, better. Um, and it doesn't mean that you don't screw things up because Lord knows I've been screwing things up for a long time. Uh, and you know what? I've just learned how to roll with it and just accept it. That's it, man. You know, it's once it's over, it's over. Um, but there are learnings. Um, if somebody forgot to take their gels or maybe they had a plan to take them, but their stomach wasn't feeling well on that particular day. This stuff's going to happen. There are going to be days when you feel like you have some kind of a science experiment going on in your stomach while you're running. And even though you practice with your Morton or your goo or Noon or whatever you're using, you know, race day is race day. There's no guarantee that even though you practice with it on your training runs that you're going to get out there and it's going to go the way you want. Some days things are just sloshing around in there. Like I said, a science experiment. It's like, if I put one more thing in there, I'm going to be like hurling on the side of the road. And you know, in that case, you know, you know, it's just not going to end well. And that's why I have such respect for the ultra runners out there doing these 100 and 200 mile races, because they have to put so much different fuel in their body. It's over such extended periods and like races like Western States where it gets over a hundred degrees, but then the temperature could drop 40 degrees on the other side when they're running at night. And not only do they have to have the right clothing on to keep themselves warm or cool, they got to keep getting those fluids in or fuel, you know, if it's solids or whatever it is, they got to keep doing that over, you know, sometimes a 24 hour, 30 hour, 40 hour period, if it's a stage race. And that's, um, that's really crazy. Yeah. One of my coaches, Laura, she has done like hundreds of ultras and I am genuinely just in awe of her all the time. Like, and she just has so much fun doing it, but she's a very smart she trains very smart so she doesn't get injured and all of that kind of stuff. But yeah, I'm always just sort of in awe. She's like, oh yeah, I did that hundred miler. And it sounds very casual. <laughs> like it's not, I'm like, how far? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Casual a hundred miles. When it, whenever somebody drops one of those things on me, I just get the map out, some sort of a map. And I look and I'm like, okay, that's like a two hour drive, you know, in traffic, you know, maybe two hours and you ran a hundred miles. Okay. All right. A hundred miles. No problem. Yeah. You're right. It's like another whole culture unto themselves, but I just love the ultra and trail community. I think they have a wonderful, I mean, they're certainly part of the running community, but they're almost like their own little community that's even closer um, and more connected. And I think just like looking out for each other um, more so than I think the regular running community can be a little too competitive sometimes, a little too petty. Um, not 
every place, obviously, but certain races, it just ends up that way. People are getting in the corral and they're already annoying each other. And I'm like, you know what? You haven't raced in two years, man. We've been living in a COVID bubble. Like have some grace, you know, have a little patience, you know, like smile at somebody and just say, Hey, good morning. How are you doing? Like if somebody stepped on your foot, like don't like the world isn't going to end, you know, as long as your toes aren't broken or something, you know, just like chill out a little bit, you know, like I know from my own experience with trail running, People are just so welcoming and they just, you know, bring you in. And when you go through an aid station and you see like, you know, like Mike and Ike's and Twizzlers and Starburst and bacon and baked potatoes and, you know, crazy amounts of food and different kinds of like stuff, snow cones. It's like, yeah, I need more ultras in my life. It's very funny because they are much more relaxed is sort of the way I always put it. So that makes it seem like they aren't working as hard as road runners, but it's just a different thing. But like, I love when I will get road runners on the trail for the first time and they're like, whoa, people are like walking up this hill. And I'm like, yeah, that's called energy conservation. (laughs) And it's necessary because you're going to be out here a lot longer than you think you are. Um, And just, yes, there's so much less focus on pace in trails because you can't compare one trail to another trail. They're so different. And so, yeah, I I do enjoy that community. And I think it's really good for a lot of road runners to sort of force themselves to try it because it does get them to sort of step away from like their watch being the definition of a good or a bad day. What a, what a great point. Um, I think if more runners are willing to do this, and I'm holding up my Coros Vertex, if they were willing to do this, just turn it over on the other side so you can't see it. Um, it's it is a great lesson. You get to Boulder and you're you know running at Mags, which is I think it's like 8,500 feet elevation or so. And uh, my highlight of that run is my son just kicked the crap out of me on like every run. I mean, he was captain of his high school team and he was just crushing me on runs. When we got to Mags, I took him out that day. He (laughs) went down that day and he's just like, dad, I'm having trouble breathing today. And I was just like, yeah, old man wins one. And then the next day we went back to Chautauqua and he just like destroyed me again. And like, you know, just was up, you know, running like a goat up some of those hills. And I was just like, Bye. Bye, Ronnie. See you later. Um, But some of those lessons are like, we can't worry about the pace. When you're running on ultras, you're running, let's say the JFK 50. Well, people talk about the last 26, you know, when you get off the Appalachian Trail, you're running 26.4 miles on a flat, graded, you know, gravel trail that runs along the Potomac River. Sure, that's 26.4. Then you have 8.5 on the roads, which are rolling to close it. But the first 13 and a half or 14 are single track on the Appalachian Trail where, you know, you can step on a rock, a boulder, hit a branch, a tree and go down 57 ways to Sunday. And if you are worrying about what your pace is on that trail, you're going to face plant. You are going to smash a body part, which I did, by the way, at least three times. Um, And there's a joke. uh, Mike Spindler was on the race director who won the race twice and ran it when he was 12 or 13 years old. Imagine back then you could just get, hey, mom, can you sign this note? Amanda, sign this note. I want to run a 50 mile race. Like, okay, okay, signed. You know, that's how things were like when I was growing up. But Mike was like, yeah, that's part of, we call it the Appalachian Trail toll. It's the AT toll. You're a rookie. It's your first time race. You have to spill some blood. So you paid your toll. Um, But if you think 
that you're going to be conscious of pace when you're running on those kind of trails, like single track or really vertical stuff, uphill or downhill. If you're not paying attention downhills, man, you'll be in a wheelbarrow, man. They'll be like coming to get you off the side of the road. So it does force you to stop being so concerned with only what the pace says on your watch. And you know, people are just literally, they think the GPS is 100% accurate all the time. And I'm just like, people, come over here. I'm going to slap you like really hard, 10, 12 times. Like, no, it's not accurate. It's not 100% accurate. If I read one more person tell me I ran 27.4 miles in Boston, I'm like, um, no, you didn't run 27.4 <laughs> miles. No, you didn't run 28.6 because your Garmin said so. No, the race is 26.2 miles. Maybe you ran 26.4 because you didn't run the tangents well. Maybe you ran an extra three tenths of a mile, but I'm pretty sure you didn't run three more miles. And then they're like calculating what they really ran. And I'm like, no, no, no. GPS, not 100% accurate, people. Let's get the memo. Have you done any fun videos on that on YouTube? Um, the biggest question I tend to get is, is my watch or my treadmill correct? And your treadmill. <laughs> <laughs> so I get that question a lot. But my watch says I was running this pace. <laughs> Nope, you're you're not moving. So your watch is just, it's not accurate on the treadmill. <laughs> correct, correct. Yeah, you must get some really, really good ones. And there are ways now between foot pods with Stride and other, you know, foot pods that are out there. Coros has a foot pod where you can do some calibration and stuff. So I think they're getting like pretty, really accurate if you were concerned about doing treadmill workouts inside. Because, hey, some people are working from home all the time. Some people have a couple of kids at home and that's their only opportunity to get their quote unquote work done. And there are ways to kind of sync them up and calibrate them and get them to be really accurate. Yeah. Some more so than others, for sure. I've tested a number of them. And I'm like, well, that's still not correct, but I am probably one of those small percentage of runners who I really enjoy the treadmill. So I run outside a ton, but I do also really enjoy the treadmill. And I think some of that is because I do feel like it's a really good tool that we have. Yeah. I mean, why not? Um, you know, again, it doesn't make you a better runner because you're willing to run in sleet and ice and snow. You might get injured. I mean, me, it's not an ego thing. I just know I feel physically stronger when I run in those conditions. It's just, it lifts me up. And, you know, I can't remember if it was Frank Shorter or Bill Rogers. One of the great runners back in the day was like, well, if you're not out here training in this weather, someone else is. Or, you know, is it, and, it, and it is true because it is the way we think. And, you know, I'm not going to win the Boston Marathon and neither are you. And you're, neither are any of the people you're coaching for that matter. But if you want to be the best version of yourself, which is what I always talk about on my show, being running makes us the best version of ourselves. period. That's it. It's a statement. It's a fact. If we're running is doing what it's supposed to do. If we're using it the right way, we're not putting these crazy pressure on ourselves, and we're just using it to make ourselves more healthy. It really does make us the best version of ourselves. But, you know, somewhere out there running in those conditions, for me, it makes me a better runner. It doesn't mean that I'm a better runner than you because I won't go on the treadmill in that weather. I've got treadmills in my building. The reason I don't like running on the treadmills in my building is because you know, sometimes you got three people like right across from you and they're on the phone and they're doing stuff. And I'm like, no, like if it was in my apartment 
And I could put Netflix on and either watch a show I'm like totally into or maybe put an old Boston Marathon on. I'm totally down with that, doing like a really long run or something. So do you have content going when you're on the treadmill or are you just like spaced out? I'm into my run. I'm going out. I'm going into the zone. It's white noise. Yeah, I usually am watching something. In fact, I'm very excited because obviously the New York City Marathon will be televised and I love running on the treadmill while one of the big races is on. Um, And I think I do talk about it a lot because there is this sort of perception for some folks that they're like afraid to say they like running on the treadmill because it's not a real runner thing to do. And it always makes me laugh because I'm like, no, no, I can run in snow. I can run in ice, but there are some mornings where I wake up and think, yeah, I'm just going to be happier if I don't go run on that ice today and I'm going to be happier on the treadmill. Um, So I think it is an interesting thing because you're right. There's huge benefits to not like, you know, staying inside cocooned all winter, like get out there, do the weather. Um, but don't feel like the treadmill is, you know, a less than option. Know yourself. And for some folks like you, they're like, I just do not enjoy the treadmill. And that's fine too. You don't have to enjoy the treadmill. Yeah. It's, um, it's just one of those things. Um, we have to just be aware of what all the tools are that are in our toolbox and use them to our advantage. Um, no question. Um, that it's just one of those things. If you have the ability to use it and you enjoy using it, get on there and run. Um, And no question, getting a chance to watch a major marathon, an Olympic marathon, Olympic trials, man, that gets the juices going every single time. Um, Exciting stuff for sure. Yeah, I love doing that. Yeah, so um, we lost Zoom, so this will be fun to see if we if we have our continued conversation, if we keep our good rhythm here. Um, I don't. This is for anybody following at home. It's just a typical Zoom drop, but uh, let's keep rolling along. So, um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about: um, most people have what when I ask them like highlights or you know most you know, a run that's most memorable, like a run from experience that's most memorable. And I, you had an interesting um, thought on that. And I wanted to have you expound on it because most people will talk about one race specifically. Usually it's a PR or something. What do you think is a race that was most memorable for you or a run that was most memorable for you and why? Yeah. So I usually don't have a specific race a lot of times that I say is most memorable. For me, it is really the different places that I've gotten to run. So when we've traveled around the world and I've been able to run in Iceland or run through the streets of Slovenia or the Czech Republic or whatever, these different places, it's just, I feel like such a deeper connection to those places that I'm able to visit. Suddenly I'm seeing the storefront windows and the little shops and the things that you kind of miss when you're either in a car or you're hustling by to find the restaurant or find the thing. Um, And yeah, those memories, those moments really for me have been like the highlight of my running. I love it. Um, So for me personally, I'm on the same page with you, although mine are more races specifically like something like memorable, like running in the hundredth Boston or whatever. But um, for me, travel is like at the core of who I am as a human, getting on a plane and exploring cultures and traveling to places that where language is different and food and customs are different and just, you know, trying to integrate, trying to learn about 
what makes that area that you're visiting, that part of the world unique and different. And to run and see that place on foot is always, to me, this, this simply the best way to explore, you know, to see their architecture, to see their churches and see the layout of the city, um, what makes it unique. And, you know, you're running in Iceland or a place like that that's so spectacular where your mouth is open, you know, pretty much the whole time, like taking in the sights. But it doesn't have to be a place like that. Um, it can be somewhere more mundane, but it just, there's a connection that you had. So I just think it's really cool that somebody who's been running so long and is so involved in the community and has a big coaching presence as well, that you find that to be, you know, your most memorable experience. Yeah. I mean, my secondary most memorable in terms of races was actually when I paced someone else for her first marathon. So we did the Honolulu marathon together. And that for me is like my favorite marathon. I, you know, it wasn't a day about me. It was just for me, a lot of fun, um, to be running alongside her and knowing how hard she'd worked to get there. That's great. Um, so the focus is, is clearly on the other person you're with. Um, so you get that big brother, or big sister feeling like your, your job, you're there as the shepherd, the Sherpa, you know, you have to make sure they get their fluids, right? Were you like tending to all that stuff or are you just there just trying to be like a good mindset coach and, you know, make sure the pacing is good or was it like a little bit of all the above? Yeah. I think when you're kind of that pacer, you have to sort of keep judging where the other person is at. So Sometimes they want the, you know, add a girl, let's do it. You've got this. And sometimes they're kind of having a moment of like, please don't pep talk me. <laughs> Just like, tell me to put one foot in front of the other. Like, but please don't try to cheer me up. This is really hard. Um, so it's definitely like that sort of combo of like, finding the wave with them um, and even just kind of still being there by their side. So they know it's okay if we need to like slow down for a second you know, yes, here's another aid station. You are taking something, whether you want it or not. <laughs> yeah. I think we have to learn how to read the signs and it's usually pretty easy, but you'd be amazed how many people screw that up. Um, like, yes, you, sometimes you actually have to be vocal. Like, no, stop talking. No talking at all. I need, I need complete silence right now. I need nothing. Um, but, oh, you're, you're awesome. Thank you so much. But, you know, can we be a little less chatty? And like, man, the name of my show is Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. I started the show because that's all we do is talk on Run a Run. And, you know, people are offloading all their stuff, you know, a fight they had with their spouse or a colleague at work is really annoying lately or their brother or sister is going through a tough spot in a relationship. I mean, that's what we do. You know, we go out there on a run and we talk through stuff and we process it all. But it's like the confessional, man. It's safe. It's a safe space. Once the run's over, it's okay. Nobody's going to put it up on Facebook and publish the details of the convo from the run. And, you know, that's the beauty of it, man. So you're out there as a Sherpa, but you got to read the tea leaves, man. You got to know when to talk, when not to talk, and, you know, kind of what they need. And if you do it right, what a great feeling, right? It's so fun. And you are so right. I feel like we tell things to our running friends that we would never say to someone just sitting across the table from them. Um, and I love that. I love that bond and connection. Yeah. I don't think it exists in any other universe, does it, runners? Like we literally will open up to a complete stranger that a friend of a friend said, we'll meet you in Chicago to run a few miles two days before the race. And there you are. You're out there. So, okay, it must be all right to talk about these things. And it is, it's wonderful. We like just, 
lose, we just lose that feeling of like, I can't share this with somebody else. We lose the nerves about it and we just let it out there. And we're not worried about being judged. We're not worried about somebody looking at us funny. We just share it. And guess what? They come back and share something else that they probably wouldn't share with anyone else either. And if we all lived our lives that way, when we weren't on a run, we'd probably be in a lot better mental health state for sure. It's true. There's some like really cool studies that have said some of it is the fact that like we're not looking at each other directly. So like when parents are trying to have a conversation with a teenager, they may have better luck when they're on a car ride. So they're not the child like isn't facing you direct on. So I think there's something about that when you're running side by side you don't have that like direct looking at someone's face. So you're not looking for an expression or a reaction, but then also that simply like we're both doing something hard. And so we just feel like, I don't know, there's this instant, Oh, you'll get me (laughs) kind of thing. Yeah. That's a, that's a really interesting point because I think where we really struggle is sometimes when we're having a real conversation, like a meaningful one that's not on the run, you know, I know guys are really guilty of this. We feel like we're supposed to say something to help solve the problem. We want to help the women in our lives that matter to us, our wife, our girlfriends, our moms, whomever, the people that we love and cherish. We feel like we're supposed to solve the problem and fix it when a lot of times it's just about listening and just hearing what the other person is saying and just being there to be supportive and not necessarily trying to come up with a fix, you know, to come up with the problem. And I think what you're talking about is when you're looking at somebody, yes, that that is so true. We we don't realize we're doing these things subconsciously, but, you know, our eyes, our faces, our expressions are sending some sort of message back to the person that's in that spot, right? That's trying to share their difficulty or their story. And if it isn't what they want to hear or receive, then maybe they're not even going to open up any further. Maybe they're just going to shut down and not, you know, tell you what's really going on. Yeah, it's a really just kind of interesting thing. But like you said, it's one of my favorite things that you will share all of this on the run. And then it is really like it's kind of left there. Like, I don't anticipate we're going to like meet up later and you're going to bring it all up again or that you're going to go talk to anyone about it. So it does just feel like this really cool, safe space to share. Yeah. And we all need more of that, right? Mm-hmm. Most definitely. So we talked about the positive spot, you know, the the spot that most meaningful, the runs, you know, that have the impact. What about um, the darkest spot? Particularly, I like to hear a lot of times it has to be, it doesn't have to be something from the pandemic, but a lot of my guests recently, it has been something about the pandemic, something that happened to them, like the darkest spot, the toughest spot they've dug out of in life. It doesn't have to be pandemic related. It could be from any point, you know, some area of life where you've had a struggle or something difficult and how you made it out through to the other side. The biggest one for me really was probably about 2010. So we had moved from Kansas City to Miami and all of a sudden I was hitting this point where like, I was too tired to get out of bed. And I just kept saying that like, I'm a marathon runner and like, I can't get out of bed right now. My hair started falling out. I was going to multiple doctors who just kept telling me you're stressed out. And I kept thinking, well, no joke, like this would stress you out too. Um, And so it took a long time. I finally got someone to pay attention to me and we realized I was having some major hormonal issues. So I stopped producing estrogen. So I was 29. So um, no good reason or cause we could ever find, but that plays 
such a big impact on your emotions and your fatigue and how horrible I felt. And so much of my life is tied up in running. And all of a sudden, that wasn't an outlet anymore because it just felt hard. It wasn't enjoyable. And that was really, really difficult to sort of mentally work through. Um, luckily, like I kept pushing, I was determined that like, I was going to find a way to feel better. And so I finally found like a functional medicine doctor who oddly enough, I had gone to because I was writing an article about VO2 max. Um, and so he had done some of that testing with me and then was like, would you like me to help with the fact that you feel awful? <laughs> I thought, my God, yes, I will let anyone help me. Um, and so we kind of worked through that, but I very much remember it was kind of a year long process and lots of tears, lots of days of just thinking, you know, I'm never going to feel great again. Um, and so sort of pushing for answers, not stopping. It's one of the big things that ended up leading me to low heart rate training. So I talk a lot about that. Um, and yeah, it just was also, I think, a turning point in appreciating my running and my health a lot more. So, you know, I think like many people, 20s were a lot about like, focusing on fitness because it made me look a certain way or feel a certain way. And all of a sudden was sort of this reminder of like, nah, man, I really want to feel good for the rest of my life. I really want to run for the rest of my life because I actually just really enjoy having this as part of my life. So it really was kind of a I, I don't use blessing in disguise because <laughs> I, I did not feel blessed, but it was a great lesson and something that I really have held on to. Wow. There's so much in there. Um, amazing that, you know, you're writing an article on VO2 max and it, the connection with that doctor ends up being the key to helping unravel the situation because, um, look, face it, healthcare is a tricky thing to navigate. I work in healthcare technology, so I'm very involved with health, large health and hospital systems. And, you know, when, when things don't fit into, quote unquote, the normal diagnosis box or what things normally fall up or line under, you can kind of go into a black hole. Um, you can be bouncing around, you know, Googling stuff, trying to figure out things on WebMD, you know, trying to, you know, figure out how to chart your course to get to the bottom of what's going on. And it can be really tricky. And so if you don't have the energy and the strength to run and run is such a big part of your life, and again, not racing, but just running to be healthy, running to feel good, to manage anxiety and stress, and just to feel like a good quality human being. And that's now all off the table. So you're navigating that for, for basically like a year. And uh, that's, that's really, really difficult. But I, I'm sure now looking back, as you said, it's, it's one of those things, you, you definitely look at it as a way more of, of a positive now, because it's changed, you know, how you approach your own training, you know, using like low heart rate training, um, which I think way more people should be doing. I am, um, I followed uh, Dr. Phil Mafiatone for a long time, and I know his heart rate formula for training. And, you know, people will look at my heart rates in, on races and on training runs and go, that can't be right. I'm like, yeah, it's right. <laughs> I've been using a polar heart rate chest strap for like 100 years, 
and my resting heart rate is 36 and I'm 60 years old and I can do, you know, races at like 125 heart rate, like really competitive, fast races. And I can do runs at like 105 heart rate, you know, a 10, 15 mile run. So like your body can adapt and can make these kinds of changes over time if you're training the right way and you're not overtraining and you're not pushing your systems over the top. So that's really amazing that that kind of led you to changing your own training style from from that experience. Yeah, I think one of the things that I really have appreciated is I I don't have a problem sharing everything I went through. And so that's led me to a lot of women who keep saying like, yeah, I just keep feeling ignored. The doctor just keeps saying this. And so now that I have written thousands of articles and researched so much stuff, I can say like, okay, well, find someone who will do this test or who will help you with this, but like, don't let them brush you off. Um, or as I have, gosh, a lot of our runners now are women in peri and menopause. So the older athlete, which has been ignored forever. Um, and it's fun because now I feel like I have a whole arsenal of information to actually help them feel better, run better, like get through the fact that things don't feel the same as their body felt when we were 20 um, and be okay with it. Yeah. I mean, listen, that's real life data accumulated that you're paying careful attention to. And, you know, if other people aren't, you know, they're going to, they're just not going to understand that. And I know we both um, are fans of Inside Tracker. We both use Inside Tracker services. Um, I know we both have our codes, you know, for discounts on their testing. And it's just one of those things as a tool. You know, I think the ultra community were probably the earliest adopters of Inside Tracker and certainly a lot of elite marathoners, but you don't need to be an elite marathoner to want to know what's going on inside your body. Um, and I wonder if Inside Tracker were around back when you went through this period of your life, it might have helped you sooner, you know, looking at all your different levels and just seeing where things were like your inflammation scores and other scores, like how your body was handling and processing stuff. Because as we know, women have such a huge issue with, you know, lower ferritin and other things that, you know, maybe men don't really have to pay attention to. Yeah, I think it would have been so incredible. I started using it in 2015. Um, and so I've been using it a long time now. And yes, I am constantly sort of our athletes. I'm like, I really want you to do this, but especially for women as you're hitting phases where your hormones are just dropping, it's shifting all these other things in your body and especially cortisol. So like you said, with heart rate training, that's one way to sort of force a lot of people to stop running in that gray zone um, because they're tied to pace like we talked about. So all of a sudden heart rate is telling them like, oh, my body is actually working really hard at this pace. Maybe I need to chill out a little bit. Um, but sometimes it's, gosh, your vitamin D is just really low. And that's why all of your runs feel horrible. So it's such a simple little like tool that can give you a lot of really easy information to actually do something with. And you just hit my issue right on the head. So I have celiac. So I have a couple of areas that I have to really pay careful attention to and B12 and um, a few markers that I have to worry about. Most people are focusing a lot on cortisol because running a lot of mileage and traveling a lot and work stress. And those are all things, you know, on the inflammation side to look at. But for me, 
for some reason, and again, I, I need to talk to somebody who's way more skilled on the, on the dietary side for me. Um, and I had Stevie Lynn on from, um, inside tracker and we had a fun show, but she was getting ready to go to Italy for her twin brother's wedding. And we didn't get enough time to dive in on some of these things. But for me, I have a, I have a real problem there. And, um, I did have a stress fracture and it's one of, I've only had one in 30 years of running. So I don't think it is a directly related to that, but I also don't know that it wasn't related to that. You know, I took a hard fall and smashed my knee. Um, but it's one of those things where there's no way the doctor can tell you, okay, yeah, you got this stress fracture of, you know, the medial femoral condyle in your knee because of the smashed knee, or is it a combination of that? And then, you know, maybe it caused it partially and then just all the miles just eventually like finished it off. But I have a huge issue with my vitamin D and getting it to the proper levels, no matter what supplements I try, I just don't seem to be able to get it right. Yeah, that's my issue with ferritin. So I am, again, still determinedly working on it and trying all the things I can to try and figure out what will get those numbers up. Well, when you when you figure out the ferritin hack, and if I figure out the vitamin D hack, we have to make sure we we exchange notes on that yes. so we can keep our communities informed because uh, it's important, man. These things aren't easy. These are mysteries that are not easily solved. That's for sure. Yeah. And I just feel like we're asking a lot of our bodies. So it's worth taking a little bit of time to sort of see what we need to do to support our body so that we can keep doing this. Because I think more and more of us are in the mindset that we want to run for a long time. And it's not just about one race. No, absolutely. We want to be in it for the long term. And outside of racing, you know, for me, I just, I want to be running till I'm, till I'm not here anymore. <laughs> you know, that's a simple goal, but you know, I don't have any plans and I ran in the hundredth Boston and I ran in the 125th. And the, the immediate thing people are saying to me, I was just like, yeah, I want to run in the 150th. They go, you're going to be 85. I go, yeah. So I hope, Perfect. I hope I will be running the 150th then. I mean, I certainly hope so. I mean, I may not be around till I'm 61. I mean, we don't know. Nothing's promised to any of us, right? But you know, that's a simple goal, you know, because if you can keep getting out the door, which is how I sign off every show, keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door, always remember to stay in the fight. That's it, man. Just keep staying in there, man. And whatever that it means to you, it doesn't mean the same thing to, to you, Amanda, or to someone else who's listening to this pod. It means something different to all of us. And, you know, it's not a fight like I'm in the boxing ring and I'm ready to take somebody out. It's just, you know, I got to keep fighting. When life throws me, you know, difficult circumstances and an 80 degree day like you got in Chicago, or, you know, we can't get any fuel in during a marathon. We just have to figure out how to adapt on the fly. You know, the idea is just to get to the finish line. It doesn't matter how fast or, you know, how slow. It just matters that we get there. And we figure it out on the, on the fly and we problem solve and just get it done in the end. And we'll be happy. We should be happy with accomplishing that. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> so can we talk a little about your coaching? Because it's such a big part of who you are. Um, and now, not only that, that you have, you know, nine coaches that are part of your team. Um, you know, what do you think defines like a special connection between a runner and a coach? Like what makes it unique and special? I think a lot of it really is the communication. So it's when the runner is willing to sort of open up about more than just like, here was my pace, here was the distance. But as they kind of start feeding in those details about how they felt, so then the coach just has more to kind of latch onto in terms of 
what does this person really need? Like what's going to help them thrive? And one of the things we often ask our athletes is, are you enjoying training? And a lot of times that sort of takes them by surprise and they're like, well, I don't, no one's really asked if I liked this training or not, but um, there's a million ways to get to the same end result. And so let's figure out what's fun. Then you're going to go after it. You're going to work harder. You're going to do more of it. So I think a lot of it is just that communication um, and being willing to be open to say you had a horrible day or you had a great day, like, and everything in between. So then we can really figure out how to help. Yeah. Because if you don't have that communication going and it needs to be in both directions, right? Um, I think you hit on the point earlier that some people are doing all the work, but they're not even telling you they're doing the work. So <laughs> there's some people you literally have to chase because it's just not their style. Um, you gave them the blueprint. So in their minds, they're doing it all. And they've probably got little charts on their refrigerator or maybe on their bedroom wall somewhere where they're putting their check boxes and maybe they got their little running journal. But meanwhile, they're not giving that information back to you on the other side. And I think what makes a really, really effective uh, partnership is when, you know, that it's going, it's flowing in both directions. Um, because it doesn't mean that you're hitting at all. It can be like, I'm not hitting at all. The fact is I'm not hitting at all right now at all because things aren't good on the home front or there's a lot of stress and the, the job front isn't good. Like there are so many things that can affect whether we're accomplishing what's been put out on the paper for us to, to really hit in terms of our guide or our training goals, let's say. And, but if you're not sharing it, then Amanda and her team don't get the chance to adapt and adjust. Then at the end of the day, you're probably going to not be happy with, you know, what the full experience is. And that's why it's so important for the athletes, man. If, whether you're coached by Amanda or someone else, I mean, there's so many great um, coaching platforms out there. There's Greg McMillan and my friend, Brendan O'Leary and James McCurdy. And there's just so many, you know, good uh, coaching systems and platforms that are out there, but you got to be brave enough to tell your coach what's going on and say, hey, this is happening on the home front right now. This Thursday tempo run is just not going to work. Um, what do we do? And I guarantee you, Amanda or one of her coaches is going to step up and make the appropriate changes for you. And I think that's one of the things too, is there are so many really good coaches. And so I will do an onboarding call with anyone before we actually sign them on to one-on-one -on -one coaching to make sure we're the right fit for them. So there have definitely been times where I've said, you know what, I actually think you're a better fit for this other coach that I happen to know. And some of that is just based on their goals. Some of it might be based a little bit on their personality or where they're currently at. Um, like I know what my coach's skill set and strengths are. So we're not coaching the folks who are aiming for a 230 marathon. Like I have a couple coaches who could do that, but that's just not the majority of what they spend their time on. So I think when you're looking for a coach, ask them questions like, it's not rude. It's an interview. Like, are you the right person to really help me before I give you money every month? Um, so yeah, make sure their philosophy feels good to you. You know, ask them questions. Most really good coaches, super happy to answer all those questions because they want it to go well for you. Yeah, that's great advice because look, we're not going to, one size doesn't fit all. We're not going to be a perfect fit. 
just like people might listen to my podcast once or twice and go, yeah, Ron Runs NYC isn't for me. I don't like his style, <laughs> you know, or Rich Roll's Rich Roll is not my guy anymore, or Mario Frioli isn't, or Matt is, or or Lindsey Hine. I mean, we we go through peaks and valleys, you know, it's not just the the podcast host, it's the guests that they're having on, the kind of topics they're engaged in, how long are the shows, how short, you know, people are like, now nah, those shows are too long for me, or no, I need more, I need somebody who can entertain me longer, I need a longer show, same thing goes with coaches, you know, one size doesn't fit all, great advice, ask the questions, because you're going to find out if you ask enough questions, whether or not it's going to be a good fit. And I think that's so important because you want it to work out for both sides. I mean, Amanda, you want it to work out so you're getting an athlete who's going to stay with you and be part of your family and vice versa. Um, if you don't think they're going to be a good fit for you, I'm sure you would recommend um, you know, someone else because I sure know if somebody were to come to me about a podcast recommendation, I'd be like, hey, do you like long shows? Do you like shows where we do deep dives and really get into, you know, it's long form conversation. It's different kind of podcast. It's not going to be four or five questions about how many miles a week you run and what's your heart rate when you do training. I mean, that's really not what my show is, but I can give you 25 shows that are just like that. Um, so you just have to know, you know, what going in, what are your expectations? And, and those questions will really help you get there. Yeah. And I mean, I think to me, that's the sign of a good coach is that we're not trying to just get every athlete that we can. We are looking for the athletes who we really feel like we can help and are a good fit because it's exciting to us when things go well for you. Or I had one of my coaches who her athlete also had a horrible day in Chicago and she has just been so upset about it. Like it was in no way her fault that it was that warm, but she wanted her to have that good day. Like we're really invested in our runners. Um, I think it's why we have a lot of athletes who have stayed with us for two plus years. Um, so yeah, the right coach, like they care about more than just your performance. They care about like what's going on with you. And so, like you said, they will move your schedule around because life happens. Yeah. And that's what you need. When you find that kind of relationship, then, you know, you, you know, you're in the right place. Um, so let's talk about your new book a little, um, run to the finish, the everyday runner's guide. Yeah. So it came out like five days before COVID hit, which was oh. just fantastic. Um, so I got in two book tour stops um, and then had to cancel, obviously, the remaining like eight uh, stops. And at the time, like we weren't doing all this virtual Zoom stuff. So I, it didn't cross my mind initially to do some kind of virtual book tour. Um but luckily, regardless of that, um, the book has done really well. It's usually in the top 100 on Amazon in running books. Um, and more than that, though, it's just really, really gratifying the messages I get from people that are either, you know, for the first time, I'm calling myself a runner because like you made me see that I really am, or I'm finally doing the warm up. And you're right, I haven't had an injury in five months now. Um, so, you know, it's really kind of that guide for the middle of the pack. I really lovingly call them the people who call themselves beginners, but have run five half marathons. <laughs> um, so, kind of taking you from that sort of mindset stuff through the basics of like, warm-ups and injury prevention and some training plans. 
Um, so really it can be like a nice guide. A lot of people say they use it as kind of a reference as they're going through training to be able to go back and, and look up ideas. That's wonderful. Um, it's a bummer for you that you missed out on the book tour <laughs> stuff. I mean, that's, I could totally relate to that because in my, when I launched the podcast, I just dreamed of always being in front of the person, you know, that face-to-face conversation, um, whether it's, you know, after, you know, talking to you after Chicago, let's say after you ran the race and hanging out, you know, a day after, or maybe the evening after and having a beer and doing the show. Um, and you know, here you have this beautiful labor of love, you write a book, you get it launched and it's in the top 100 and you, you don't get to go do that fun part, which for me would be the most fun. I would, I would totally enjoy that. Um, but obviously it's doing really well, um, despite that. So congrats on that. That's really cool. Yeah, thanks. I have been really excited to see, um, A, that people are sharing it with friends after they read it, or they're taking the time to actually write a review about it. Um, I, I mean, I'm genuinely just so grateful that like anyone would pay money for anything that I produce. <laughs> like it's one of those weird, like, I don't know. I've just always sort of been that way. I think that's the way I am with coaching or with the courses that I have. I'm just, I'm grateful that someone trusts me enough to invest in something that I have offered. Um, so I always hope that I'm kind of going above and beyond expectations for them. Wow. That's gratitude. And it comes through and um, it comes through in all aspects of your, your online presence, your blogging, your Instagram, um, the tips that you're sharing, you know, the coaching philosophy, um, not only that you have and you espouse, but the people that are on your team, because um, that's what it is. It's a team and it's a platform. And the virtual group, uh, the community that you have going there also is wonderful. Um, so that's good stuff, man. Kudos and keep it going. And I'm sure it's incredibly um, gratifying to see a note from one person, let alone many, many, many people saying, you know, thank you. These tips have helped me. And, you know, I consider myself a runner now. That's That's all wonderful stuff. Yeah, it's really, it's, I I think also because maybe we don't always take the time to tell people those nice things. So the fact that someone is ever taking the time to just send me that note, I'm just extra appreciative. And it reminds me that I also need to do that and pay that forward to other people because you often think these nice things, but then you don't take the time to actually tell that person. So that has also been a nice little reminder. Yeah. I mean, look, it's, um, in life, it's, it's always about trying to pay things forward. Um, and I think when we're focused on others, as you were, when you're pacing a runner, um, we're always going to feel good about ourselves when we're doing, um, something in the community, community service, um, and we're focused on helping someone else or a group. Um, we, it's just an opportunity to just feel our best as humans. And the more we can do in those areas, the better we're going to feel, and we're also helping other people. So it's a win-win on all fronts. So on the community service side, I mean, your life and your business and everything you're doing is really all community service focused anyway. But is there anything you're doing in community service outside of running or something that's important to you? Or is it really more or less all of you know your givebacks are all focused around that? You know, most of them right now really are around that, around trying to be available and helpful to people. Um, admittedly, because we have moved nine times in the last 11 years, I have not done great about becoming super involved in a local community. Um, there, 
hopefully we are settled here now. And now that things like you said are as normal as they'll get for a while. Um, there's a number of organizations here that I really, um, have been learning about to see how I can get involved with them. Um, obviously like running is my passion. So I'm very much excited about some of the little running groups here, free kids. Um, and so I'm kind of trying to see what they're going to look like for spring. That's great. And I know you also do a lot of talks with groups, um, when people ask you to, um, if you know, from the running community and that's a great way to give back as well. Yeah, I feel like anytime I can try to just answer a question and hopefully help out um, so that someone can go enjoy and stay injury free, that feels like a win. Oh, it's definitely a win. Well, I I have been had a wonderful time talking to you. You shared some great stories with us, uh, with the Run Chats audience. You're doing amazing things in the running community. So so kudos to you, man. Keep it up. Keep it rolling doing a lot of great things and, um, you know, definitely inspiring lots of people. Um, is there anything we didn't get to, you know, that's kind of top of mind for over the next couple of months, maybe the next year, something big that you're thinking about doing that we didn't get a chance to talk to today um, before we uh, roll out of here? Man, I feel like we really hit on all the high points of things that are kind of going on. <laughs> good, good. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing. Uh, it's been a real treat and a wonderful opportunity for us to get to talk for the first time. So thank you so much for sharing. And as we say at the end of every show, keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door, and always remember to stay in the fight. Wow, it was such a treat to have Amanda on and get to know her better. I've been a fan from afar, following her Instagram page, reading her blogging and injury prevention information for quite some time on how to stay healthy. We're both big fans of Inside Tracker, so it was fun to talk about that a little bit as well um, and how um, just that uh, shapes her philosophy and mine as well with trying to keep myself and the athletes that I'm engaged with healthy as is she is doing for her platform as well. Um, what a great resource. So if you're not already following Amanda, make sure you make that happen. Sign up for her newsletter, her blog, to stay in the know on great topics related to injury, prevention, training for ways that are going to ultimately make you healthy and optimize your training, and ultimately really be focused on the positivity with running, finding the joy in your running. This is a real treat to get to know Amanda better. I hope you all enjoy this one as much as we did. If there's something about the episode specifically that sticks out, take a moment, hop on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us find new listeners when you write a review and you share some specific comments about an episode or on Instagram stories, Facebook, whatever platform you're on. It all helps us grow our platform out further. And I thank you all so much for doing that. Every time someone takes that step, it helps us find one more new listener to the show and also leads us to getting amazing guests like Amanda. So thanks for all of that. And as I say at the end of our episode, keep lacing them up, my friends. Keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight. Peace out, my friends. <laughs>